Jesus comes to Jerusalem and he has several encounters with the the powers of the temple known as the Pharisees. Pharisees were reformers, believe it or not. They were among the most progressive of the different groups, but they got sort of hung up on all the rules and regulations. You had to follow 650 different laws to be a good Jew. And they got all hung up on that. Can you do that? Uh -uh. (laughs) Uh-uh. So the the Pharisees became um, the source of Jesus' um, struggles with getting his teachings across to the people. But the people, those that were marginalized by the Pharisees, the ones that had already been declared as sinners and had been cast out of the temple, they came to Jesus by droves and would surround him to listen to his teaching. So he, uh, he comes to a certain place as he is looking up to the mountain or the hill of the temple. I've never been there, but some people say you, you climb up the hill to reach the temple. Have any of you ever been to Jerusalem? Okay, is, is, am I right? Is that you sort of climb up and he's looking at the temple. He's looking at the temple mount and, and, uh, he takes it all in. And we find in the record of, of the gospel of Matthew, we hear his words, which I've had to compress, uh, dramatically in order to get, to have the time to share this with you. These are two long chapters. And he goes on and on and on. But here it is, basically, um, the, the, the text as we find it in Matthew 23, 24. First, the first part, Matthew 23. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and his disciples. You must take care to do everything the Pharisees say, but don't do what they do. They love to be greeted with honor in the markets. Hypocrites, you Pharisees, shut people out of the kingdom of heaven. How terrible it will be for you. Hypocrites, you forget about the more important matters of the law, justice, peace, and faith. How terrible it will be for you. Hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they're full of violence and pleasure-seeking. How terrible it will be for you. Hypocrites! You're like whitewashed tombs. They look beautiful on the outside, but inside they're full of dead bones and all kinds of filth. How terrible it will be for you. Hypocrites! You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. You are children of those who murdered the prophets. You snakes! How will you be able to escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I'm sending you prophets. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who were sent to you. 
How often I wanted to gather your people together, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want that. Look, your house is left to you deserted. I tell you, you won't see me until you say, Blessings on the one who comes in the Lord's name. How often in Sunday school have you been taught about Jesus and you're going through your Sunday school book or your poster? I know I was <laughs> I was in the age where we were taught with posters. Remember that? Big posters, you know. Jesus in the beautiful springtime on the hill holding little lambs. Jesus is my shepherd. True. And much of the paintings of Jesus over the ages are of a, a Jesus that is calm and and quiet and and uh, or suffering. All of that is true, but that's only the half of Jesus. Or the baby Jesus with the Virgin Mary. All of these these pastoral and and beautiful images of Jesus. But how many pictures are there of an angry Jesus who's pissed off? Excuse the term. He was. Not all the time, but at that time, he was, and he was fulfilling the role of the ancient prophets who also were angry who were calling out the powers, who were speaking truth to power. And they were telling the truth. His angriest words are recorded in these Gospels, in the Gospel of Matthew 23 and 24, where we see him act out his anger also in the Gospel of John when he cleansed the temple. You know, he took a... a, a, uh, some cords and made them into a whip and he whipped out all the money changers and all the dealers with the animals and threw them out of the marketplaces of the temple. Jesus in these texts and these chapters 23 and 24 of Matthew is playing two roles. First, he's playing the prophetic role. He's a prophet. He's telling it like it is. He's talking about present events now. Most of us misunderstand that the word prophet means that you foretell the future. Not so. The word prophet is the one who speaks the truth now. And if you don't straighten up, this may happen to you. Yeah, in the future. But that's another role. Jesus was also an apocalyptic, meaning he was one that was saying, if you don't straighten out, this is going to happen to you in the future. And that's where we get the term apocalyptic, which means the revealing of what's going to happen. The revelation, which all of us are familiar with the last book of the Bible. Scholars refer to Matthew 23 and 24 as sort of the, the many prophetic and many apocalyptic message that Jesus utters during his ministry. 
It's in the same vein as those of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, and Amos. They were angry people. Angry, not because they were angry, angry at the situation in which Israel was found in. They were going after pagan gods. There was corruption. People, the poor were being abused and, and marginalized, etc. They were angry about those things. So was Jesus. He looks towards Jerusalem and its suffering people and his, his guts move. That's what compassion means. He has his, he, he, he is so focused on the suffering of his people that he takes that suffering on himself. Isn't that what we talk about when he goes to the cross? But as, as he is during his ministry, he has that experience over and over again. And so it is here where he speaks out to Jerusalem. How often I wanted to gather your people together. Just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. He becomes mother just as the hen He becomes mother who wishes to gather her children and protect them. As the hen gathers her chicks, he becomes mother to his people, the marginalized and the poor. And we find earlier in Matthew 9, 36, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I did a little uh, checking up. You know how you can go and look for a word that's in the Bible? I cheat that. I, I cheat all the time. You know, I, I, don't, I don't memorize too well. So I want to find where a verse is and where it is, you know. And I look up compassion, and I get to the Gospels, and the word compassion appears right next to the healings that Jesus has done with individuals or with groups of people. Jesus had compassion and daubed his hands in the mud and put them in the eyes of the blind man, and he healed them because he had compassion for him. And over and over and over again, the word compassion and healing go together in the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is compelled to heal people who are helpless, and he has compassion for them. And the people that need healing in the world where there was no Medicare, no insurance, no medical care, and only those who were wealthy could afford a healer, it was Jesus who reached out to to the poor and the marginalized for healing. And yes, he did from time to time heal people with means, but the point is he had compassion for them. And when it comes to the issues of how Jesus becomes mother to the children of Jerusalem, most Christian traditions don't acknowledge the feminine side of Jesus. It's not the issue of gender, but it's the quality of being feminine, just as it is with the male gender. Most religious traditions ignore the fact that the many names of God include feminine names for God. 
such as spirit, ruach in the Hebrew, and wind, where spirit and wind in both Greek and Hebrew are the same word. And it's a feminine word with a feminine pronoun. And we also have the feminine image of God in the form of spirit wind in, that, in those very first words in the Bible in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. So if Jesus is the Son of God who comes from God, wouldn't it be in his nature to have both qualities of feminine and masculine natures of God? Which reflects all of humanity and not just half of it? In the 1989 movie, Romero, with the late Raul Julia in the title role as Archbishop Oscar Arnulfo Romero of El Salvador, there is an emotive scene when Romero returns to a church which has been desecrated by the Salvadoran army. He gets out of his car in front of the church he slowly puts on his robe and stole, and with about a hundred peasants and children, walks towards the entrance where armed soldiers are about ready to shoot him, or at least threatening him. He continues walking up the steps, gazing at the soldiers as they begin to move aside, and he walks in. today to retake possession of this church building and to strengthen all those whom the enemies of the church have trampled down. You should know that you have not suffered alone, for you are the church. You are the people of God. You are Jesus in the here and now. He is crucified in you just as surely as he was crucified 2,000 years ago on that hill outside of Jerusalem. And you should know that your pain and your suffering, like his, will contribute to El Salvador's liberation and redemption. Archbishop Romero was a mother to the poor in El Salvador because he demonstrated compassion for them in the face of brutality by the Salvadoran government. He was martyred on March 24, 1980, when a bullet from a marksman pierced 
his heart as he raised his arms in the consecration of the bread, the host, during the celebration of the Eucharist. On October 14, 2018, he was canonized as a saint, St. Oscar, by Pope Francis. Jesus begins to reveal what is to happen, giving warning to those who don't heed his word. He becomes to reveal, to, to give the apocalypse. He's an apocalyptic. In his other role as prophet. And to comfort especially those who suffer in his name. But first he responds to his disciples concerning the temple. In Matthew 24 we read, His disciples came to point out to him the temple buildings. He responded, I assure you that no stone will be left on another. Everything will be demolished. The historian Josephus records that in the year 70 A.D., Israel was defeated in a six-year insurrection by the Roman Empire. Jerusalem was sacked. And under orders from the emperor, the priests were slaughtered. The scrolls of the Torah were burnt. The treasures of the temple were taken to Rome. The temple walls were reduced to rubble the size of baseballs. The final solution of the Jewish peoples, supposedly. And isn't it ironic that ten years later, the wealth of the temple was used and spent to construct the Colosseum, the center of death of the gladiators. The disciples go on to say, tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus replies, many will come to in my name saying, I'm the Christ. You will hear about wars and reports of wars. These things must happen. They will arrest you, abuse you, and they will kill you. At that time, many will fall away. The first two centuries of Christians, they were in great peril. The persecution was extremely difficult and almost complete. And yet the Christian church survived. These things are historic. They're not just Words written in a gospel. These things really happen. But the one who endures to the end will be delivered. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. And Jesus goes on. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come. Only the Father knows. Therefore... You also should be prepared because the human one, the Son of Man, will come at a time you don't know. St. Oscar was martyred because he heard, lived, acted on the revealed word of the Christ. He gave his life for the poor and the marginalized in El Salvador 
and throughout the world for that matter, and the name of his homeland, ironically, in a place of so much violence, even today, El Salvador means the Savior. Jesus' revealed word calls us to be martyrs as well. Perhaps not in the extreme of giving one's full measure of devotion, as Abraham Lincoln said at Gettysburg. Because the root meaning of martyr is to bear witness, to bear witness to Jesus Christ who has lived, died, and is crucified, as Paul says over and over again. And we can bear witness to that message as we're called to be a part of God's reign. The Christ is calling us to live with our full measure of devotion as witnesses in a world often filled with despair and in which so many have lost hope. My gosh, haven't we all? Just this week, we turn another page with one million souls in the United States who have died. Just think of the many more who have suffered their deaths some of you here included. And yet we're not hopeless. And to think of what is happening in the Ukraine and in Afghanistan and in Syria and Ethiopia, and the list goes on and on and all across the countries of Central America and South America, It's almost beyond our ability to cope. And yes, we can't cope except for the power of God who gives us hope and gives us strength to be his witnesses and to do our little bit, to pay it forward, even as a tiny thing of saying thank you to the checkout person or to push a cart across the driving parking lot for somebody to put it back in its place. I know that's silly, but it isn't. It's that small, but it's part of the milk of human kindness that Shakespeare talks about. That intentional love to be kind, but also to get engaged in ministries of our church and the projects that bring about great change when we gather together in love. Love abounds when we offer it in the small and the great actions that reveal the reign of God, which is among us, even when we are surrounded by darkness. Jesus calls us to prophesy by speaking and acting towards the wrongs in the present time, which are right before our eyes and ears. The Christ calls us to see and hear what God's reign is to be revealed to us in the present, which will arrive in its own time, in its fullness, in the future. And as Archbishop Romero would, had told his people in the church, you are crucified. You are resurrected in Christ with him. Amen. Amen. 
as you go out, remember someone by name or nameless. Greet a homeless person. Send an email. Call somebody you haven't called before and just simply say, I love you. Give a donation to a cause that changes lives, especially in the so many ministries of mission here in our church. There's so many ways to be involved. And now receive the benediction. Even in the darkest of night, even in the darkest hour, your flame of light shines through. That even though we may be in despair and in sadness in the night, there's always joy in the, nor- in the morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace.